0: Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird.
1: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we continue our study at Ephesians, I just pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds to your truth and through the indwelling of your spirit, that you would transform us through your sanctifying power to where we look more and more like you and pursue the things of holiness and righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. So we started Ephesians last week. And we are in verse 3 this week, so if you will turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 6, but our focal passage this morning where we're going to spend all of our time is in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. If you look at commentaries, there is a debate based upon other historical manuscripts about these verses being a doxology. Some people say that it was a hymn. Other people say that it was a poem. All of that's well and good, having that type of discussion But bottom line, it's the word of God. And when you look at it, and it's beautiful, as Paul writes this. But when you think about it being a doxology or a praise, and you look at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you look at that verse, if we're not careful, I don't know about you, but I, I do know about me. If you're not careful... It's one of those verses that as you're reading it, that you just glide past. Just one of these things that Paul opens with in his letters. However, if we take the attitude of the Bereans of Acts, we should search the Scripture. And we should look at the Scripture and and ask ourselves, what is the meaning here? What is God trying to tell us through Paul? And when you look at verse 3, Paul says that God has blessed us in the heavenly places. What does that mean? That he has blessed us as believers, because if you remember from last week, I clearly pointed out as he opened up with verses 1 and 2, that this is written to the believers of Ephesus and as well as people believe that this was a circular letter, that it went to various churches in Asia Minor, that this was written to the believers, the Christians in Asia Minor. And so he is telling us that God has blessed us in the heavenly places. Now we haven't gone to heaven yet, right? And in this original audience, they've not gone to heaven yet. But he said that we're blessed in the heavenly places. And so if you're listening to this sermon, we haven't gone to heaven. We're not in the physical presence of God. And R.C. Sproul, in his commentary, mentions something that I think is worth reading. Sproul says this, Commentators struggle with understanding what Paul means with this, Blessed us in the heavenly realms in Christ. Sproul says, I believe that Paul does not only mean that the blessings received through Christ are spiritual and proceed to believers from the heavenly realms. Rather, he incorporates them as participants in some way in the heavenly realms because they are blessed in these heavenly places with Christ. One commentator suggests that Paul is reflecting on his own mystical experience in the third heaven where he was enraptured by an overwhelming sense of being close to the presence of Christ. Sproul goes on and says, There is, however, a mystical communion that the believers enjoy with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Right now, you and me, there is a mystical communion that believers enjoy with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Sproul says, it is not an out-of-body experience or a transportation to the soul into the heavenly regions or an astral projection. Nevertheless, there is a real communion, a certain sense of Christ being made present to us by the Holy Spirit. As often has been said, touching his human nature, Jesus is no longer present with us. Touching his divine nature, he is never absent from us. Jesus in the gospel refers to leaving and departing from his disciples and returning to heaven. And yet, at the same time, he says, I am with you always. We actually understand Christians' enjoyment in the presence of Christ as referring to the Spirit bringing Christ to his people by bridging the gap between heaven and earth. But in this passage, there is the suggestion that it refers not to the Spirit present with us, but us present to the risen Christ. Mystically, we move from heaven to earth, Because we have fellowship with Christ in the heavenly realms. Now, when you read that, there's something special about this verse, isn't there? That you and I are in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm fixing to say something that's extremely important And relates to each and every one of us. This idea that you and I experience the blessings of Christ in the heavenly realm. Varies by believer. It varies by believer. The presence of Christ is available to all believers. However, the degree to which you experience the blessings of Christ depends upon you and me. It's available to all of us. But there's something that we do to experience those blessings more richly and deep. A great example of this is found in Joshua. Turn with me to the book of Joshua, the first chapter. And we're going to look at verse 1. And it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for this people. You shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now let's look at some very important facts with Joshua. Now you may say, how in the world are you going from Joshua to Ephesians? But we're going to get there. Let me ask you a question. Those verses that we just read, they would not step foot into the promised land, right? Did they already hold title possession of the land? That answer is yes. They already held possession of the land because God said, I am giving it To you. Look at verse 2 that we read in chapter 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. It's a fact. God said, it's yours. In fact, fulfilling his covenant promises, isn't he? Of the covenant of Abraham. This is it. What did Joshua have to do? Look at verse three. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I have said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. They held title, but Joshua had to pick up his feet, didn't he? He had to pick up his feet to take possession of the land. You and I have the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have union with Christ, and the more obedient we are to the Word of God, the more we take action in our faith, we experience God. Just like Joshua, you and I have to pick up our feet to realize all the blessings that are in store for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are disobedient, if we are lazy in our pursuit of God, you and I miss out on the blessings that we have possession of through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to do something. We have to do something. We have to be active in our faith. And if we're not active, if we're spiritually lazy, if we're disobedient, if we have sin, habitual sin in our life, you and I will not fully experience what God gave his son for in our life. And I'll give you an example of that. Back to Joshua. Let's go to chapter 7. In Joshua chapter 7, let me put this in context. The Israelites had experienced defeat at Ai. And they experienced defeat because there was sin in the camp. And so look at verse 10. After the defeat, in verse 10, Joshua is praying. And here you'll see something that logically... You may be different, but to me, logically, you'd think that this would be what you do. Joshua's praying. But look at the response from the Lord in verse 10 of Joshua 7. He says, get up, get up. Why do you lie this on your face? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. Get up! Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because the Lord says, the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. So in short, God said to Joshua, quit praying, get up, remove the sin from your camp. Why did he say that? Because they already had title possession of the land. There was nothing to pray for other than dealing with what was going on in the nation of Israel. He tells them to clean house, if you will. Honor in his commentary on Ephesians in regards to this analogy between Joshua and Ephesians says this, the reason the believer does not receive spiritual blessings is not because God is in some way stingy or he or she must plead for them. But because the believers are not appropriating by faith what God has already bestowed in their behalf. The problem is not with God, but with the believer. The enrichment is further described in Ephesians 1 4 through 14. Although God has promised the people of Israel material prosperity and physical protection, he has not promised this for the believers in this age. Rather, he has promised every spiritual benefit for the entire spiritual well-being of the believer. In other words, we would misinterpret Joshua if we applied a physical prosperity to it, as some people in the health and wealth camp are prone to do, that you're going to claim things in a physical sense. But the analogy holds true in the fact that just as the Israelites had a physical possession and a material prosperity, you and I, Have a spiritual blessing if we seek God. If we seek God. But just for a moment, let's go back to Ephesians 1 and let's read again verses 3 through 6 in this light. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I mentioned something last week, and you're going to see this repeatedly as we go through Ephesians. One of the great fallacies in false teachings in how one can look at their salvation is that Christ is a currency or a token. In other words, depending upon what your denominational background is, I grew up Baptist. I remember growing up, people used to say, oh, Baptists don't have liturgy. Yeah, we do. We just don't write it in a book. Walk the aisle. I walked the aisle when I was such and such an age. And people look at that phrase or whether you grew up more in the liturgical background and you went to confirmation and you look at that and you say, Christ is my current to heaven. Christ is my currency to heaven. And unfortunately, there's lots of believers out there that that is the limit of their Christianity. Jesus Christ is my currency to heaven. I don't have to worry about anything else. I can do whatever because I've got Christ in my pocket as my currency to heaven. And I can go live whatever life that I have to live. And then I'm going to get up to the gate of heaven. And I'm going to pull out my currency. And I'm going to say, I get to go into your heaven because Christ is my currency. And that's the absolute limit of your salvation. That Christ is your currency. He's your token. He's your talisman. Your good luck charm. What a pitiful view of salvation. Because what Paul is telling us here. Is that you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I through the victory of Jesus have victory in our life because of Jesus Christ. The believer has access to the throne room of heaven with boldness because of Jesus Christ. The believer has the ability to commune with God because of Jesus Christ. It wasn't bought for because of our merit. It wasn't bought for because of some decision we made when we were a child or a young adult or a senior. It wasn't a transaction. It wasn't a currency. It was the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross and he chose us in spite of ourselves and he gave us life and blessing in the heavenly realm. However... If you and I don't bend our knees in prayer, if you and I don't use our eyes and our mind for his word, if we don't use our ears in listening to the preaching of the truth, we are poor for it. And so at the beginning of my sermon, I made this statement that, These blessings vary by degrees. They're available to all. They're available to all. And I don't care how old you are. It's never too late. You may look at your life and go, oh my goodness. I've had all of this and I've never used it. I've never used it. And in fact, one Christmas Eve service, I wrapped boxes. Just like you receive a present. And I had them under everybody's seat. And you had to open up the box. And you read a promise of scripture to the Lord Jesus Christ that was wrapped up in that box. And unfortunately, there are some believers that never take the bow off the package. You and I have the blessings in the heavenly realms. And just like Joshua, you've got to pick up your feet. Not about material prosperity. Not about a full bank account. Not about driving a fancy car. Not about having the best parking spot. Not about every day being a Friday. It's about being in the presence of God and experiencing his truth and his majesty in his worth of what he's given us. Let me give you a couple of verses in that that will support my point. One of these verses talks about this interaction that you and I should have as believers. You know, when you read your Bible, and I know that you know this, and of course I've read my Bible for years and I know it's a living book. Because you'll start to read it and then all of a sudden it may be a verse that you have read a million times. And then all of a sudden it just sticks out and it just grabs a hold of you and you go, wow, this is just the best thing. Now, one of this verse that I'm fixing to read you, that happened to me with this verse about a year ago. And I wrote it down on a yellow sticky and put it on my computer screen. And I just look at that verse and I'm like, this is just a great verse. This verse that I'm fixing to read you talks about this interaction that you and I should have as believers. Turn with me to the 11th chapter of Hebrews. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6. The verse that I have on my screen is verse 6. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And it says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. And here we are in verse 6 which is so important in the light of what I've preached about this morning. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. And then there's this really big and. And that he rewards those who see him. Now. Some people just look at verse 6, if you look at their life experientially, and they don't get past where it says that they must believe that he exists. In other words, they look at God as a currency. But when you look at the end of 6, that he rewards those who seek them. That's the blessings in the spiritual realm. So this morning, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your denomination has been. I don't care where you're at in your life at this present point. This verse in the verse in Ephesians is alive and well for you and me for the power of God. And you may have taken your Christianity for granted. We've all been there, haven't we? Well, we've taken our Christianity for granted. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. I don't have anything to worry about. But there's not a better time than this morning to sit there and say, I have a richness that has been bought and paid for to the blood of Jesus Christ to allow me to petition God and commune with him and have that experience with Christ. That can happen today. As you commit your life to being an active Christian. The next verse that I have that will reinforce my point is a promise, and a lot of you may be able to fill in the blank for me, found in the fourth chapter of James. It's in verse 8. Draw near to God. What's the last part? And he'll draw near to you. And I'm going to encourage you in your life, just like Abel, just like Enoch, just like Noah, just like Joshua, pick up your feet and take what was bought and paid for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your wonderful truth. We thank you for its depth and its richness. I pray, Lord, that we would all be active in our faith. I pray, Lord, that we would look at our salvation not as a currency or as a token, but we would see it in all its richness and we would experience it in all its majesty. And we give you the praise and the glory for all things. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash Church. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.